Welcome to the weekly podcast of Valley Church. I pray that this message will fill you with the hope of the gospel and will help you follow Jesus today. If you would like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, visit valleychurchwv.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. We are uh, getting close now to the end of our series, The Good Fight. And uh, that's what that song was all about. That's what we've themed this whole series around because Paul is just encouraging this young pastor, hey, it's not easy. You're in a, you're in a city that is very opposed to Jesus. There's lots of things that, that you're going to have to um, confront with the truth. And um, man, just, just don't give up. Fight the good fight of faith. And so that, that I hope is, is the encouragement that we've been giving to you as Valley Church over these last 10 weeks. And um, we'll be wrapping up next Sunday with uh, the end of chapter 6. But here we're starting, starting the beginning of chapter 6. So um, 1 Timothy uh, chapter, chapter 6 uh, verses 1 and 2 is where we're going to start things off today. And um, I've entitled this message, True Contentment, because I think that that is, that is one of the major themes that is in this. And um, you'll recognize even um, just the intentionality of, um, of our music director, Tina Bell, um, just in, in choosing some of the songs that we already sang, just preparing us for the scripture this morning. Um, <clears throat> because uh, Timothy, he's, uh, he's going to receive some instruction from Paul about how to be truly content in the Lord and what that looks like, um, along with some other very practical things. So let's just, let's just open up with prayer. Let's ask God to teach us from his word, and, um, and then we'll, we'll discover his truth as we go, go into scripture. So Father, thank you. Thank you that we're here together. Lord, you, you have gathered your church again, Valley Church, just a small expression of your, your body um, here to hear your word. God, all of, all of your word is truth. And Lord, as, as we teach it, we pray that you would, would just open it up to us. Your spirit would speak to us and convict us. Lord, that um, you'd sanctify us in your truth because your word is that. God, um, thank you for these um, challenging scriptures um, that we can study today. And um, God, right now, I also just uh, think, of, think of our Valley kids um, and our Valley youth right now that are going to be receiving teaching after church. Um, God, would you um, just, just bless each of those teachers, um, just, uh, just bless each of the kids that are receiving your word right now, even as we speak. Thank you for everyone here at Valley Church whose heart is to serve you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, hey, uh, we're going to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Um, jump over there. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to follow along. We like to go verse by verse to keep it simple. Um, and it will also be on the screen if you need that, but I uh, definitely encourage you mark up your Bible. Um, it's okay to write in there. Um, just just uh, whatever you can do to keep on learning God's Word, do that, okay? But uh, let's, let's read the text, um, verses, verses 1 through 10 to start off, and, um, and then we'll get into discussing it. It says, Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful, on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better, since those who benefit from their good service are believers and beloved. Teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine that does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing." He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and depraved of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. 
for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. All right, there's God's word for us today. And as you notice, again, we have another list, kind of a list of a few, few things that uh, Paul is passing on to Timothy that he's supposed to pass on to the elders and, and to the church there in Ephesus. And so, so I want to go through that list. And the main theme being that we're going to talk about more in depth is, is that theme of contentment. But um, the first thing I, I want us just to recognize is that the Bible is very practical. And um, here, as we read it, we see that even though it was written 2,000 years ago, these truths still apply to us today in, in a very real and applicable, applicable ways here, here at Valley Church. And so the first thing that he talks about, which we may not understand right off the, right off the bat and has been misunderstood by a lot of people, is he talks about a word, gives a word to servants and masters. Okay, just, just review that with me here. In verse 1, he says, let all who are under a yoke as bondservants. Just, just pause there. In Roman times, slavery was a very common thing. Actually, uh, in the Roman Empire, it's, it's actually, um, if you study it, actually one-third of citizens were actually slaves. And another third had been slaves previously in their life because slavery was different than the way that we know slavery today. Um, there's not a one-to-one -one comparison. Some slaves were, you know, they just had full-time employment and that's, that's what they were. Basically, as empl employees, they were slaves um, because they had a full-time job of serving their masters. Other people and this is how it was primarily um, for most people, they were slaves because of debt that they were paying off. Okay, so, so think about this. Um, we say today that the borrower is the slave of the lender. That's what scripture says. But in Roman times, that's truly what happened. Because if you owed money and you could not repay it, the person you owed money to could sell you in order, to, in order for you to work off your debt that you owed. And that, that's how a lot of people entered into slavery. So just, just so you understand, Paul is not saying this is right or this is wrong. He's not making a, a statement of, of uh, whether or not we should practice slavery or not. I think we would all agree slavery is wrong. There's a horrible history of that in the United States. I think there's another topic that, that he's, he's addressing here, rather. He's saying, if you are a slave, here's how you are to conduct yourself. Here's how you are to relate to your master. Okay? And, uh, and so as, as we go on, what, what he, he teaches here is he says, regard, regard your own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. So if you are a slave, I don't know how you got in that situation. I don't know if it was your fault or, man, you got sold into slavery and this is a tragic thing. Whatever situation you're in, it doesn't give you license to treat other people in the way that's ungodly. He says, honor your master to be good, respectful workers. He actually explains this further in the book of Colossians. I'll, I'll bring the scripture up on the screen. He says, servants, in Colossians 3, servants obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward from the inheritance. For you serve the Lord Christ. Now, this is a teaching that basically Paul is saying, whatever you do, you work, you serve the Lord. And I think this is, this is where we can find application for all of ourselves um, when it comes to employer and employee relationships, can't we? All of us, most of us are employed or, or some of us are employers here. We, we maybe own our own business or, or um, we manage people or we're a boss at work, we're a manager at work, and we, we employ people. How is that relationship supposed to work? What well, scripture says, 
is that when we work hard and we honor our employers, it glorifies God. But when we're lazy, when we're unreliable, when we're disrespectful, it brings shame to the name of Jesus. Something I think we, we often look in our, in our just daily life is that um, in our places of employment, you may be the only example of a follower of Jesus that people ever see. Think about that. And so how they see you, what they watch you do, what they hear you say, how you go about your work, how you respond to disagreements, to stress, to gossip, to conflict, that is all a representation of who Jesus is. And so really a question for us as we look at this in our own lives is what kind of example am I in my workplace? Whether I'm a boss, whether I own a business, am I, am I operating with integrity and honesty and fairness? Or if I'm employed by someone, am I respectful? Am I honest? Am I showing up to work on time? Am, am I putting in a good hard day work? Because that is God's desire for each of us, that we represent the Lord and that in everything that we do, we're serving the Lord, not man. And that, that's a concept that, that we're to keep in mind in whatever we do. That's a motivation for, for excellence. Verse 2, keep on reading. He says, those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. So teach and urge these things. Here's, here's the other scenario that, that he's, he's explaining. He's saying, you might be working for another brother who is a, a believer, in, in, that, in that case, um, when, when they came together in, in the church, um, there could be slaves or employees, full-time employees that were in positions of leadership over their employer or, or, or over their master. And so, so there, could, there could be a, a level of disrespect that was shown you know, within the church toward, toward an employer um, and, and then take that into the workplace. And, and Paul is saying, that, that's, that's not how we operate. We don't disrespect another brother just because they're a brother and we feel like we can take advantage of them. No, he said, it doesn't, doesn't matter if they're a believer or not, not a believer. We actually should, should treat them better because they are a believer because we know that it's going to benefit them. We don't take advantage of people. We help one another out. And, and uh, we work hard so that we can be a blessing to one another. I'm sure there's a lot more there, but man, he's just saying believer to believer relationships are important, that we treat these with integrity, that we don't rip each other off. And, um, and just because we're a believer does not mean that we should get special treatment from an employer that's also a believer. So, some, of the, some of the worst workplaces have been in places where you're like, oh, I, I think I'm going to get special treatment because my boss is a Christian. Don't think that. It should make you work harder than you actually would in any other place, okay? That goes, that goes the same thing in the church as well. I've seen some of the most lazy staff that are employed in churches, and I'll just be honest about that because they're like, oh, we, don't have, we can't really hold people accountable here. Tell you what, the church is employing you to do something. Or if you said you're going to do something, you do it. You're faithful, okay? Because you're not serving man. You're serving God, okay? We're doing that everywhere we're at, okay? Keep on moving, though. That's a word to slaves and masters. And um, as we keep on going, though, he changes, he switches his subject, um, and he talks about how to recognize false teachers, now, this is a subject that he's already addressed a few times, really toward the beginning of the letter. You know, we, we know all that stuff about Gnosticism, how they try to upside down the Bible, teach all this backward stuff. And, and he, he again reminds Timothy, how do you figure out who are the fa false teachers? How, how do you know what to do with them? And the first thing he says is, is uh, he, he shows them that false teachers embrace false doctrine in verse 3. He says, if anyone teaches a different doctrine 
that does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness. Let's pause there. False teachers embrace false doctrine. That may seem obvious, but uh, look at the word there for different doctrine. It's actually one Greek word, and it means this, strange teaching. It explains a teaching that does not accord, does not agree with the words of Jesus Christ. And so a good word to discern, okay, you know, how, how do I know whether there's a false teacher? You always ask the question, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? What did Jesus say? Is this consistent with the authoritative, inerrant word of God? Because we can save ourselves from a whole lot of theological trouble if we come back to the scripture and measure it against that. And man, when you're hearing some kind of new or strange thing, don't just buy into it right away. I, I know there's a lot out there on YouTube or on the internet, you know, a lot, lot that you're hearing on TV about different, different things, different ways to interpret scripture, things like that. But man, don't just take it because they're a famous person. Always bring it back to the word of God and ask, what does God's word say about that? Is it consistent with that? Because false teachers, they want to pull you in. They want to drag you in to, to whatever philosophy that, that they've bought into. And um, man, uh, we, we need to be grounded on the scripture, on the word of God. Okay? The other thing is this. Um, so not only do false teachers embrace false doctrine, different doctrine, verse 4 describes who, what these kind of false teachers do. Verse 4, he says, uh, he is puffed up with conceit and he understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy and dissension and slander and evil suspicion. So, so the second part of this is how, how do you recognize false teachers is that false teachers cause division. Take it to the bank and just think about people that you have ever been around, that you know, man, just a, just a wake of division follows in their path, okay? These are kind of people to avoid. That's what scripture says, okay? I don't know if you've met somebody like that. I'm sure we all have, but man, this, this is someone whose life is filled with drama, whose life is filled with gossip and pride and arrogance and broken relationships. So watch out, now, I, I'm going to say this. It's, it's not wrong to ask questions. It's not wrong to disagree. It's okay to disagree. Um, that's all right. And we, we welcome conversations. And, you know, I think to, to an extent that is very, very healthy. But not to the point that it gets, as it says at the end of this verse, that it produces an unhealthy craving for controversy, for quarrels about words, envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, okay? And then it says constant friction. You know what happens when a church is, is they're just, they're, they're so focused on what they disagree with rather than what they agree on is that it makes it really difficult to, to be around one another. It's not a nice place to be. And you see constant friction, okay? What is friction? You can't get anything done. You can't do anything useful, okay? And that's what he's saying is that, man, when, when you allow this to happen in your church, there's going to be friction. And you're not going to get anywhere. You're not going to produce many results. And so, so verse 5, he says, there's constant friction among people who are depraved in mind. They're deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. There's multiple ways to understand, understand this, um, but, but um, all in all, uh, he's, he's addressing legalism, I think, but also addressing a spirit of, of greed, and this, we, we call it today this health and wealth gospel, that, uh, you know, if, if, I, if I follow Jesus, you know, if I do all these right things, that God is going to pour out all his, you know, financial blessings on me, that I'll have everything that I name and claim, and it's going to happen. And that, that's just not consistent with Scripture, okay? Um, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. If you see that, uh, run, okay? Um, this, is, this is an example of false teaching. Now, he teaches us then 
what is true godliness? What is true godliness? And now we get to this, this important topic of contentment, which, man, this is very practical for us. Verse 6, verse 6, talks about how contentment changes everything. There's six words here in verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Just let that sink in. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Six words. Very rich in truth. I think we would all agree that godliness is great gain. I think that's why we're here today. But we often forget about this most important word, contentment. What is contentment? We just sang about it. I will be content in every circumstance. Jagra, you're enough. Contentment is this. Simple definition, if you want to write it down, you can. It's finding joy in what God has given you. Finding joy in what God has given you. Whether it's a little bit or whether it's a lot. The opposite of it is greed. The opposite of contentment is greed. Now Paul is teaching godliness is only great gain when it is coupled with contentment. You cannot have one without the other. But can I tell you, in our culture today, every day we live, this is difficult. And it's countercultural for us to say, I'm content. I am content. Um, if you think about it all day long, we are bombarded with messages that tell us that we should not and cannot be content unless we have the latest and the best and the newest product that they're marketing to us, okay? And just so you know, I think we're all affected by this. I want to do a little test on us, though. Is that all right? You ready for a test? Let's see, let's see how good we are, how, how, uh, how, how much we've, we've heard from, from the media lately. Here's a fill in the blank. Okay, a few fill in the blanks, okay? This will be a quick run. There are things that money can't buy. For everything else, there's... No. <laughs> come on, come on. All right, we'll try again. Give you a second. There are some things money cannot buy. For everything else, there's... Not discover, I'll tell you that. <laughs> Ma MasterCard. All right, well, you said discover. <laughs> okay, okay, I didn't hear you. All right, you got it. All right. You're still a winner. All right. You guys should, you guys should get this one. Like a good neighbor? There we go. All right. Catching on. The best part of waking up. Yeah, that's a lie. <laughs> All right, um, here's, here's uh, just, just, just name, the, uh, name the, the business or the product. Finger licking good. KFC, yeah, that's right. Um, the breakfast of champions. Wheaties, yep. Save money, live better. Walmart, yep. Um, have it your way. You rule. Burger King, I don't know why you eat there. All right. Taste the rainbow. Skittles. And it keeps going and going and go. Energizer Bunny. All right. All right. Some of us have been impacted more than others, as we can tell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but hey, there's a reason why marketing teams have come up with these slogans. It's because they, you know, they get into our head, you know, and every time a commercial comes on, you know, I, we, we hear ourselves kind of, you know, repeating the lines and, you know, the more we repeat it, the more we believe it, don't we? And so, even though we may feel contented with what we have, we may see a new product um, out there and we may be like, you know what, I, you know, I'd like the latest and the greatest and the fastest and the newest, tell you who's the most effective at this. It's the companies where you buy something and then like six months later, they come out with the newest version. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, I got to go buy it. 
I got to have the fastest. I got to have the newest. I got to have the titanium iPhone. You know, like, why? Okay? But that's why they're effective, is they create discontent in your heart. That's how they operate. Now, contentment is not something that comes natural to us, but it is something that is learned as we follow Jesus and put our faith in him. And can I just be honest about myself? I struggle with contentment. You know, there, there, are, there are things that I have in my life that are frustrating, things that I'd like to resolve, that I wish that I could do if I had just a little bit, if I just had a little bit more, if I could just get that thing, then I wouldn't have to live with that frustration. And I think all of us feel that, don't we? We all feel discontented in some areas of our life. But man, contentment, as Paul describes it, he says, it's, it's a learned thing. It's very learned. And, and we're going to hear from Paul how he learned this. Philippians chapter 4, he talks about it. He says um, in verse 11, chapter 4, verse 11, he said, I'm not speaking about me and need, for I have learned in whatever situation that I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. If you think about Paul's life, man, he, he went through it all. I don't think any of us have experienced the level of highs and lows that, that Paul went through. But he said, I, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and facing want. And man, if, if Paul had to learn it, we're going to have to learn it too. Why is godliness contentment with great gain? He says, because you can't take it with you into heaven. You can't take what you have gained here materially on earth into heaven with you. Keep on reading in verse 7. He explains it. He says, for we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. We came into the world with nothing. We leave the world with nothing. And I'm going to catch you on this one, except for one thing. You may not have ever heard this before, but as I was thinking about this, I realized that there is one thing that we can make on this earth that we possibly can take into heaven with us. You know, want to know what it is? It's our children. Our children. Think about that. Our children are the only thing that we can make in this world and are the only thing that possibly will join us in heaven. But when we think about that, doesn't it change our priorities? You know, we work very hard in life trying to make a living, trying to provide, trying to um, build wealth, set ourselves up for success, investments, retirement, insurance, um, these things aren't wrong. I'll tell you that. But if we're neglecting the more important matters, passing on to our kids or to our loved ones, that this earth is not our home, that we're not building a kingdom here, okay? Um, if we're not showing that Jesus is the most important thing, that's not worthy of our time. The best inheritance you can leave to your children is a legacy of faith. A legacy that says, God's kingdom is here, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to be there. Will you? I want you to be there. Focus on his kingdom. One day, you're going to die. That's a fact. And everything that you've bought, everything that you've invested in, everything that you've saved, built, collected, some of you hoarded, will be passed on to somebody else. And so to me, as I think about that, that's freeing that I don't have to obsess about things. Verse 8, though, is a challenge, though. Um, if you read it, you'll be equally as challenged, I think. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content, okay? I love the simplicity of that verse, but, but honestly, 
it's another hard one. And I, I think it's hard for you too, okay? All you need is food and clothing. What about like a reliable vehicle? What about like AC? What about like, um, you know, uh, uh, oh, an oven? I mean, electricity, indoor plumbing. I mean, <laughs> I think if any of us go without some of these things, we feel it right away and are frustrated by, right? But he's saying, no, all we need is food and clothing. And I guess the question that I need to ask myself, and maybe you need to ask yourselves, is if that's all I had, would I find contentment? Would I be content? Because that is what the Lord wants you to come to a place of. Am I finding joy in what God has given me? I'll be honest that, I mean, we've had a, like a month where we've had a number of unexpected things come up, you know, different car repairs and, and things on the house. And, and man, every time that happens, you know, and, and, you know, things that we were saving for, we no longer were able to do because we had to put it in areas where we didn't want to put it. We find ourselves frustrated. And, and you've been there too, because you, you have things happen that you weren't planning on. But yet at the end of the day, what we thank God for is, God, thank you that it actually was there, that we could do that. You frustrated our plans, but God put us into this place of like, just trusting that you know what's best. That's contentment, Um, but it's a constant reminder. I think we learn this over and over and over again, don't we? As you, as you, um, um, I had another verse that related to this, um, and I, I was encouraged by this. It's in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Um, Solomon, the richest and wisest man who ever lived, he said, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. It is also vanity. Um, there is a lot of teaching about money in the scripture. Actually, there, there's uh, more teaching in scripture uh, about money than almost any other subject. And what scripture consistently teaches is, you know, that there is value to working hard and earning an income and, and using your money well, but equally there's also danger in it that uh, there's this danger of discontentment, especially with with what you earn, that uh, you always want more and more and more and more. If you love money, no matter how much you have, you'll always want more. And that's that's why Jesus, he taught, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The concept is this, treasure in heaven. That's what's secure. That's what's eternal. Paul goes on, um, verse 9, if, if you're in our text in First Timothy. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Can I just tell you, the problem with not having wealth, sorry, the problem is not with having wealth. The problem is when we make it our goal in life, our aim. The problem is not when we possess wealth. The problem is when wealth possesses us. That's what he's getting at. How much is enough? The answer is that when money is your God, you never have enough. You never have enough. And he goes on to say then, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. I'm going to just pause there, okay? These are serious words. And, and, and he's continuing with the subject. And can I just tell you that this is a verse that people have often taken and misquoted in Scripture? Do you know how people have often said this verse? Money is the root of all evil. Is that what this verse says? No, let's read it together. For the love of money is the root of 
all kinds of evil. So is money evil in and of itself? No, it's not, okay? It's the love of money that is often the source of all kinds of evil, okay? It's because people will do almost anything for money. That's why people, when it comes to like crime investigation, they say, follow the money, because it will lead you right back to the source, okay? But money is not evil. Money can be used for good, just as it can be used for evil. But take, take this, this warning seriously. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. If you love money, you will never have enough. And there is a danger that this verse talks about with the love of money. He goes on to say this. You can bring it back up on the screen, the rest of that verse. He says, it is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. What's his warning? It's not against criminal activity. He's warning against apostasy. Okay, you might not remember that word, but what that means is that it's a falling away from the faith. That once you said, I'm all in, I'm a follower of Jesus, got baptized, you started, started getting, getting active in, in church, started joining 242, you, you, were, you were all in for Jesus, but then there came an opportunity to make more money and you said, I'm going to do it, but you changed your priorities. And instead of following Jesus in this new job, what you did is you became obsessed with making more and acquiring more and building up your empire and your kingdom. And that's why he said, through that craving, some have wandered away from the faith. Now, here's here's what I want to just give you, okay? It is not wrong if you really work hard to build up a business and really, really do some good things, okay? That is, like, I love that, okay? And, and myself, I don't know if you know this, but like this year, started doing some small things on the side to just serve people in our community, help out uh, by doing photography, and it's enjoyable, it's, it's great. And there's some of you that, that own businesses and, and are doing really good, helpful work in our community. We need these kind of people, but be careful that whether you're an employer or an employee, that you don't make just making money your goal. That's a trap because you're never going to have enough and it's going to sidetrack you from the things that are most important in life. Don't get that way. It's something I have to remind myself as well because even this year, some of the things that we started doing was just teaching ourselves to say enough. Just, just in our, in our weekly schedule and trying to just receive the call of Jesus to just come, come away and rest, um, to take Saturday as a Sabbath and say, you know what, we're, we're going to try to not answer calls from the church. We're going to try and not do work to acquire things. We're going to just enjoy and stop. I know not all of you can have that kind of schedule, but man, build it into your life. Build up that, that, that aspect in your life spiritually where you're saying, enough. I don't have to always be on. I don't always have to be acquiring. I know you feel the pressure. But man, get to that place where you can say, I have enough. I have enough. I'm going to keep on working hard, maybe six days a week or five days a week, whatever it is. But man, saying, you know what? I can say no. I can say no so that I can give my better yes to Jesus Christ. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Okay? Keep on going. Um, as we end, uh, that, that's the last verse. What, what I want to do as we close is I want to, I know this has been somewhat practical already, but what I want to close with is I want to just give five practical um, applications for us um, from this passage. Okay? First of all, uh, if you're taking notes, I want you to just remember this. Remember that the Lord owns everything. Remember that the Lord owns everything. If you put yourself in this place, you'll remember that you are a steward, you're a manager of what God has entrusted to you. 
And so the question, whenever you acquire a lot or a little, doesn't matter. Uh, God, God portions things out differently according to, to our, our own abilities and what, what he feels like he can trust us with. And man, um, when we're faithful in, in little, he'll make us faithful with, with much. He will, and that, that's a blessing. But man, just, just remember that you are managing God's resources. And so I always ask that question, um, how am I managing what God has given to me? Um, and uh, my encouragement is manage God's blessings, God's way, for God's glory. Okay, that's the first concept. Second is cultivate contentment in your heart. Cultivate contentment in your heart. As I express to you, contentment is hard. It's hard for me. And I have to learn this. I'm learning it every day, okay? We all have to learn this. But a, a proverb that spoke out, to, spoke out to me this week was actually from the book of Proverbs. And if you have your Bible, um, it's not going to be on the screen, but I encourage you to open to it because, and, and, and mark it in some way and meditate on it this week. Because I believe that this, this uh, is an important prayer maybe that we can all pray that could help teach us some contentment, okay? Proverbs chapter 30, Proverbs chapter 30, I'll give you a second um, to get there. Starting in verse 8, verses 8 and 9. And this says, uh, these are the words of Augur, son of Jekah, and, the, and it's, a, it's an oracle, okay? It's a, it's a teaching, okay? You might recognize, recognize these words, and, and part of this that he wrote is that, um, he said in verse 8, Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or, lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of the Lord. You see what he's praying there? Saying, God, don't, please don't give me too much, lest I think that, man, I, I, I'm all-powerful, that I'm God, okay? Lest I question who is, who is the Lord. But don't give me too little, that I'm so desperate that I feel the need to steal and lie and cheat people. I don't want to be in that place. And this is a good prayer for us to pray because he's like, just put, put me in the center of like what you think that I need. Give me that. And that, that I define as grace. Give me your grace today. Give me what I need, when I need it, and help me to trust you in that. That, that is what I believe that, that this, uh, this writer is asking of the Lord. This is a good prayer for us to, to pray, to cultivate contentment in our own hearts. Okay, that's the second one. Third, this is practical, but learn to distinguish between wants and needs. Learn to distinguish between those things. There's some things, man, uh, you, just need to, you just need to bite the bullet and just do it, okay? Um, but there are other things that, man, we all have Amazon Prime, right? I mean, some of us, we just, we just scroll that thing and we, we see the latest and greatest. And we're like, yeah, I want it. We throw it in our cart and we just press buy and, and there it shows up on our doorstep in two days. Like, that's incredible. Like, it's awesome, Okay. But, man, how many things have we bought that we really did not need? And so, so something that, that has helped me, I'll share this with you. Put it in your cart and wait a week. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> wait till, wait till, uh, wait till uh, Prime Day. <laughs> Thanks for that. It might go on sale, but you also might discover... You know what? I've moved on personally from that. And I've realized that I don't actually need that in my life. Um, just a helpful tip. Obviously, there's more ways that you can discern between wants and needs. But man, learn that. Learn that. 
Um, number four, and this probably goes without saying, but some of us need to learn this. Spend less than what you make. Spend less than what you make. I've learned it does not matter how much you make, you will always tend to try and spend all of what you make. And here's the concept. If you get a raise, stay at your current standard of living. Don't raise that, okay? Just stay at it, okay? It will not only allow you to be, feel more contentment, but it will give you margin in life so that when there are truly things that you need to purchase or areas that you want to be a blessing to people, you have the ability to do that. It may feel like you're holding yourself back and that's really what you're doing, but you're just, just giving yourself permission to say, you know what, I don't need everything. I don't need everything that I can grab, okay? Because the reality is this, everything that you buy takes some of your time. It does. And so learn just to say, say no, okay? Um, and spend less than what you make. Um, it's also very easy for us to buy things using credit and uh, credit that we have no business um, managing, okay? The banks will pretty much give you whatever you want and, and max you out with debt up until your ears, okay? And some of you feel like you're drowning. Some of you, the most spiritual thing you could do is to sell some things, to simplify your life. Um, I, I don't know if you know Precious and I, we love throwing things away, okay? <laughs> but sometimes just decluttering your house even helps you gain this mindset of, I can live with less. And that's important for us to gain contentment, okay? Um, the last thing is this, give sacrificially to the Lord. And if there's anything that should be at the top, actually, this should be the first. Um, when Cliff read the scripture about not, not uh, harvesting the edges of your field, um, that was just the concept of, hey, we, we give to the Lord the first portion. And that's what I would encourage you with. If you're, if you're even struggling financially, this is not health and wealth, it's just the teaching of scripture, is that you give to the Lord first what he's given to you. And you trust that God is going to give you his grace to provide what you need when you need it. And um, man, what, what we have learned is we started um, in our family tithing. Uh, we had just moved here to Payton City. Um, we had, I'd taken on the job as, as a youth, youth and music pastor here at the church, received my first like real paycheck. And uh, as a married couple with our first job, our first place that we started actually like tithing together in our marriage was here at this church. And... Um, can I just say, we've never been in need. God has always given us what we needed when we needed it. And uh, I credit that to just uh, putting God first in our finances. Because, man, when you, when you put God first, all the other things fall into place. And yeah, we haven't had everything that we want, okay? But we've had everything that we've needed, and over and over again, God proves that he will provide, and he's, he's entrusted us with many things, all right? So give sacrificially to the Lord. When you give, you learn the heart of the Father. And the gospel is this, that God so loved the world that he gave. He gave. And so maybe um, as we close, I want you to just close your eyes, and maybe just, just ask, ask Jesus, Lord, what are you saying to me? What are you saying to me from your word? I'm going to give you a moment just, just to pray individually to seek the Lord at this time. God, as we come to the end of this time in your word, we recognize it's been really practical. Some of this has been really challenging because it hits at the core of what's going on just in our heart. And so, Lord, just we, we invite you to come in to all these areas, to our work, into our motivations. 
into areas that are just sometimes even awkward subjects for us to talk about, even, even in, our, in our family, in our marriages. But God, you want to be Lord in every area. And so, Lord, we give you permission in Valley Church. Lord, you're welcome here into that. God, change our hearts, build contentment into them, Lord. Teach us, Lord, to say enough. Thank you that you are enough. And that, God, you loved us so much that you gave and you keep on giving. And so, Lord, if there's someone here that doesn't know that grace, doesn't know the Savior, God, would you just just impress upon them their need to call upon you right now and say, Lord Jesus, would you save me? Would you forgive me? Thank you, God, for giving your life for me. Thank you, God, that even when I didn't love you, you loved me first. And so I repent of my sins. I give my life to you. I give you lordship of my life, all of it. I don't hold anything back. Pray this in the name of Jesus. And God, we thank you that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved, Lord. We love you. We thank you for that. And God, we bless your name. Thank you that you give us power by your Holy Spirit to walk in newness of life. And so, Lord, change us. Lord, go with us in this week into our work, into our families, into everything that we come in contact with, God. May you just surround us and go before us. We love you. and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Valley Church. If you were impacted by today's teaching or made a decision to follow Jesus, we would love to hear from you, pray for you, and walk with you. To connect with us, visit valleychurchwv.com. There you will find resources on following Jesus and information about how to partner with us here at Valley Church as we seek, serve, and send disciples of Christ.